0: And even if it takes a while
1: She's liberal, he's conservative
2: Everybody. My name is Harriet Bearholtz and welcome back to another episode of Now Hear Me Out. Unfortunately, my dad cannot make it today, but that is okay because we have two incredible guests here. Uh, one is somebody who is going to be familiar to you all, uh, Joe Leventhal, who's been a guest on our show before, and who had the pleasure and the privilege of seeing my father make complete fools out of ourselves, dressing up as uh, Uncle Sam and Lady Liberty at one That's of the Republican great. events. That would be great. <laughs> month um yeah so that was that was interesting but we also have one of his friends who's actually uh, a democrat and also you know a politician in his own right also a san diego attorney and has a really really awesome background that we're going to learn about gil cabrera today so thank you both so much for being here um i know we really want to focus on kind of keeping it positive and i know you know this is a bipartisan podcast so i'd love to hear what you kind of both have to say but joe if you could just maybe reintroduce yourself really quickly um and just tell a little bit, bit about you know who you are and uh, your background, and then we can go on over to Gil. That would be awesome.
0: Absolutely. I, I do have to note, I am outnumbered here without your dad. It's two Democrats and one Republican. So <laughs> I, I could be able to uh, hold my own. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm an attorney, you know, relevant to this current time period. I'm a father and, and husband, and I've got three kids that are now uh, 12, 11 and eight. One of them just had a birthday yesterday, so trying to keep track of, uh, of ages, but uh, 12, 11, and 8.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, uh, I, my practice is general commercial litigation, and I've had a, a number of roles in the community uh, and a number of things. And most recently, I uh, became a candidate for San Diego City Council District 5, running to replace Mark Kersey. And uh, when I was on your show last, we were talking a lot more about that, and that was obviously before the current uh, situation with coronavirus.
2: Definitely. No, um, you were great on the show. I know we talked about a lot and I I was a little bit harder on you, I feel like, than I've been on other people. So I do apologize for that. I know I asked you some questions about the Second Amendment and uh, regarding some other, and you took it like a champ. So I really, really appreciate that. I'm so happy to have you back again today. Um, You're honestly, you were our most highly downloaded episode um, until, I think it was until Pete Mezich was on, which was interesting. Um, And then, yeah, but people loved you. So...
0: (laughs) All the people that are doing opposition research, they kept downloading it over and (laughs) over
2: (laughs) again. Right? (laughs) I love that. But um, but no well welcome and Gil um, I'd love to hear kind of your background um, I know you're an attorney and I know you're a Democrat but can you kind of share a little bit about you know like where did you go to school what inspired you to get into politics and maybe just about some of your uh, your race that you ran in 2016
1: Sure sure I've uh, so I've lived in San Diego for a little over 20 years now uh, I started my practice here um, I went to uh, Boston College for law school and then Cal State Fullerton for undergrad. Um, so went as far away from Orange County as I could <laughs> for, for, uh, for law school and then uh, came back home running after three winters in the East Coast. Um, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my practice today is, so I started, uh, uh, uh Joe and I were at uh, similar firms for a while and then I went out on my own first and then, and then I finally convinced him to go out on his own. Uh, and I feel, I don't think we both either look back, although he regained, uh, the big firm life. Um, I have not, uh. But my practice is mostly uh, business and employment litigation. Uh, it's been a lot of employment counseling this week, as you can imagine, um, oh, and so that—that's been the nature of my practice. Uh, Politics-wise, you know, I've just always been one of those kids that was kind of raised with politic political discussions throughout the house, raised by two Republicans. Um, so it was always always fun when when we have family conversations now, because I'm the I'm one of the few Democrats in the family. And um, but I like to say because I was raised by two Republicans, I speak Republican. So I, I so I, you know, you understand it. Um, and then I've served in various appointed roles in the city. Uh, I was the chairman of the city's ethics commission. Um, I uh, just rolled off the city's convention center corporation, uh, and then I'm also on, currently on the board of uh, Sharp Healthcare, which is the uh, largest um, uh, provider of healthcare here in the city, as well as one of the, lar- the largest uh, private employer in the city. Um, so it's been a it's been an interesting couple of weeks in, in all of those various roles and what's what's been going on and, and how we're dealing with it.
2: Can I ask about kind of your transition in a sense? From were you ever growing up um, obviously with Republican parents? Were you kind of a Republican beforehand, and then you kind of morphed into a Democrat like myself, um, or do you kind sort of, of have of. Democratic I mean, I think, yeah, ideals yeah. And, and visions?
1: I mean, I the conversation I often have with my parents is that until more recently, more recently, it it, it, it we've really splintered, and, and it's you know it's a, it's it's the Trump effect probably more than anything else. But um, I, I always talk to them in terms of like from a policy perspective. I always thought they were they leaned more Democratic, um, you know, kind of typical folks in terms of uh, socially liberal. Uh, fiscally conservative, but I I would consider their views on policy center left. So that's kind of what I grew up with. Um, and I, and I certainly probably, uh, thought of myself as a Republican as a kid just because you don't really think about it, you know, except that you're, you're what your parents told you you were. But when I um, first registered, I actually first registered as a Democrat. So I, I kind of made made the decision when I was 18 on which party I was going to go with. And and that was in 1990. So, uh, so yeah, I registered as a, as a Democrat and never looked back.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I and obviously we want this podcast to be positive and, and upbeat more so than anything. But I'll just kind of, I just for you know curiosity's sake, we kind of tend to ask people on here, and we don't get a ton of uh, Democrats on the show, so I just feel so lucky to have you on here today, just because <laughs> I'd love to ask, you know, like you'd said, the Trump effect, and I don't want to bash the president or anything along those lines, but I am curious um, to know from your perspective how has the political rhetoric of this country between both sides changed since Donald Trump uh, ran for president and then was elected? Because I personally, I, I was, like I said, a registered Republican before, not to make it all about me, but I think it was a lot easier to be a Republican in the times of George W. Bush and uh, when people like Mitt Romney and John McCain were around um, a little bit more so than than currently. I feel like the split has gotten deeper and greater and we're more divided you know than ever now um maybe hopefully the coronavirus can can change that in a sense but i'm just curious to know kind of your opinion
1: yeah i mean it's it's weird because in some ways um it's brought people together now it's brought people that were what i would say moderates right because i I, i'm always seen as a moderate in my party and so sort of the moderates in the republican party um and and the independents and those folks that don't necessarily you know track with 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 the president um i think it's brought those folks together and it's sort of maybe at some weird level revitalized the middle um but it has also energized the, the the wings and so that's the that's the tough thing so i find myself having both um you know more productive conversations with especially locally right local politics just tends to be less I think partisan in its, in its nature, just cause you know, as, as the saying goes, a pothole is not a Democrat or a Republican. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, but there's, but there's also, there's a lot of partisan stuff and, and, and it, that still happens. And when you do have local folks that, that are, you know, hardcore, um, kind of Trump supporters, then that starts that, that bleeds into everything. Um, and I've got, I've got some friends that I, and actually former clients who are both conservative. We've always, you know, had fun, engaging debates um for the last gosh 10 15 years um and they've just had a harder edge to them in the last two years simply because you know I, I, it's hard for me to deal with the with the sort of trump talking points <laughs> so so that, that 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 kind of has has made it tough and so we we definitely have uh, a lot every once in a while i'm like all right Time to stop talking about politics. What movies are we watching? <laughs> we just sort of bring it back to, to to a common common love, you know. And so that that's where we yeah. that's where we, we we run to when when the conversation gets too heated.
2: No, of course. And I was going to say Joe too, and I know obviously you don't have to answer 100% if you if you don't want to, but one thing that i I feel like too with the Trump presidency since this has kind of come out is that there I just, i'm curious to know your opinion on kind of the party loyalty like do you feel, do you feel like there is a group of you know republicans or a kind of not super happy with the way that president trump is currently doing things but those people kind of feel like they need to be silenced because there's this need to just constantly be supporting the president and i'm just curious to know your opinion
0: when you say how things are currently being handled do you mean with the coronavirus or more broadly
2: I guess more broadly, just some of the the Republican events that I have been able to attend with my father, um, the previous Lincoln-Reagan dinner, for example, I feel like there's been a big um, need to just be showing your president, even if you might disagree with some of his policies. Um, Otherwise, you're seen as a bit of like a party traitor, in a sense. And I'm just kind of curious to know your your thoughts on that.
0: Sure. I mean, I think part of this is, and and maybe some of this is the Republican-Democratic divide, but I, I do think that part of why... The president is so strongly defended by so many republicans is because the rhetoric is strong from both sides and um you know the, the president does represent a certain perspective that i think a lot of people in this country feel have not been represented recently frankly by republicans or democrats and i think i said this was when i was on your show last time but it's part of why there's been such strong support for people like bernie sanders and elizabeth warren in this country I think generally people are, whether you're Republican or Democrat, feel like the establishment and the establishment in both parties have, have let us down. And so I think while a lot of people, if you, if you get them one-on-one, will talk about uh, things that they don't agree with the president on, still are, are inclined to defend him more publicly because, again, he is representing something that I think people feel have not been represented uh, in this country in, in modern history. And again, I think even if uh, you know, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren were our president, which looks less and less likely with the uh, Democratic primary now, but if one of, one of those two had been elected, I think you'd probably see the same phenomenon on the left. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'd have a lot of Democrats that maybe aren't one-on-one going to agree with everything that that president stands for and says and does, but are still going to publicly defend that president because it represents something that's that's counter to the establishment. Yeah, I think that's an interesting,
1: that's uh, interesting point too about Bernie is that I, I i I did I always thought that he'd have a similar um, you know, in different ways, obviously, but but in terms of the division aspect of of the presidency, I thought he had the potential to also you know divide the country uh, aggressively um, and you know from from the <laughs> other direction, right? I mean, I, I think that he and he was always going to have a very hardcore uh, you know, group of supporters that were always going to be there for him. And then, and then, and then divide sort of the rest a little bit. So I, I, I that was always a concern with, with me where I, you know, at least in, in my voting, I was looking for somebody to sort of bring us back together. Cause I think, I think we have been probably more divided than we've been in a long time.
2: No, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that Bernie is obviously such a stark contrast from what we currently have. It might've been a little bit too jarring for a lot of people. Um, whereas Joe Biden kind of feels like the safer choice, obviously. And uh, one of the funniest things I saw recently was how basically all of the Democratic people uh, running, including um, Mike Bloomberg, were basically trying to just show themselves next to President Obama as much as humanly possible in their campaign videos, yep. just to try to like, instill that sense of, of, you know, nostalgia in the American people. So, uh, Joe Biden ended up being endorsed by a woman who used to endorse uh, President Obama. So he was kind of trying to say like, Obama endorses me by proxy, which is just very, very entertaining. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I, I I really respect both of your opinions regarding you know that, and I do agree. I think. I think President Trump definitely Joe represents this sort of vision for people who feel like maybe their beliefs might have not really been represented well in the past. And I also agree with you, you know, Gill, in the sense that I I see Bernie Sanders as being kind of divisive um, as well. You know, he's the he's kind of the extremist um, on the other side of the equation. So I understand why people throw around the whole socialist terms and and kind of all that kind of stuff. Like it's a big you know negative and, and fear inducing and all that kind of stuff. But but yeah, I kind of talk currently about the coronavirus and how we think that the current administration is managing it. And then let's get to the positive stuff of what we think the other party is doing well right now. Um, I think we could all use some of that. I know um, one of the, the people that I'm going to be sending this to is, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Yep. Yeah, big fan of theirs. And so uh, hopefully we can have them send this out to their, their email list. I've contacted them previously and, you know, trying to push the whole bipartisan podcast thing uh, for as many people as, as humanly possible. But but what do you guys think currently? I mean, just the state of the world right now, I feel like two weeks ago, we were all living our lives going about, you know, uh, and, and then stuff just kind of hit the fan. So what's your current take on stuff? Joe, if you want to go first and then Gil. Sure.
0: Yeah, no, I'll start. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's hard to imagine what it was like just two weeks ago, even a week ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unclear where things are going to be in two weeks, and two months. And I think that's one of the scary things if we, if we really think about it. Um, you know, I do think that it's hard to be overly critical of any elected leader right now uh, because I think this is absolutely unprecedented. And, and that goes, you know, all the way up to the president and all the way down to, you know, lo- local school board members, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, I know my kids' schools, they were kind of back and forth. They didn't know if they were going to close the schools, not close the schools. I mean, today, it seems like a no-brainer, of course, close the schools. But literally, that was, you know, they were struggling with that two weeks ago. So, um, you know, some of that maybe is because we, as a country, were not uh, sufficiently ahead of this or... Uh, didn't quite pay attention to how significant this was, you know, in China and other countries. Um, I mean, I remember reading something about how, uh, you know, when this was, uh, you know, first going on in China, uh, they were they were reporting that it was essentially the equivalent of a two month unplanned vacation for the entire country. I just thought, wow, that sounds devastating. I can't even imagine that in China, just in China. And of course, now we're looking worldwide. We're talking about essentially a two month, you know, vacation, not really vacation, but you know what I mean. So yeah. <laughs> you know, I think our priorities as a, as a country and frankly, as, as a planet have to be health and safety first and economic second. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's, it's going to really hurt people economically. It's going to hurt our governments, uh, economically, um, which is going to affect people, you know, in their homes and things like that. And, uh, and so I think we need to be mindful of not only what we're doing now, but what we're going to be dealing with you know, in the in the coming months and coming years, frankly.
2: Okay. And yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with everything. I think this was kind of just a shock. I think there's yeah, it's unprecedented right now the times that we're dealing with. Gil, um what do you what's your opinion?
1: Yeah no I I, so I was in a no. meeting yeah. yesterday uh as I am being five, that's where I'm going, man. <laughs> so I was in a, I was in a zoom meeting yesterday. Um, and uh, it was in a zoom meeting. It was a conference call. And, um, when we were getting financials for one of the organizations I I'm on, on the board of, um, the, 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 one of the people reporting said, you know, um, February seems like a lifetime ago and it's true. It's, it's like a different universe, um, from where we were even three weeks ago. Um, my my kids are at a small Catholic school here in the neighborhood, and I'm on. I, I chair that the advisory committee for the for the school, and we were, you know, the, basically the Thursday night um, before, kind of everything really got shut down on Friday. We were still talking about, um, you know, uh, how we were going to respond and, and whether or not we were keeping the schools open. Um, SD Unified had had uh, just announced they were closing, but the the diocese, the Catholic diocese, had not. Uh, had made the decision to stay open, um, and um, and my and, but we were we had just been informed that my uh, my older daughter who's twelve her sixth grade camp was supposed to be last week and that was that was already canceled, Um, so we were oh. we were we were yeah no the timing was just devastating for for her as you can imagine, and so um, it was it was a remarkable thing because by Friday. Um, in the morning we had sent out a letter to the parents informing them where the diocese was. And by the afternoon, the diocese had shifted and completely decided to close the school starting Monday. And then we were shifting gears to, um, start, uh, working on, uh, you know, the, the sort of lesson planning and how it was going to work. And, you know, I got, I have to hand it to at least our, our little, little school here. They were, our kids were back at back, basically working, um, had, had curriculum set, uh, and had, Um, classroom, video classroom um, time with their teachers by Tuesday of last week. So they were, they moved very quickly and um, have had a fairly robust academic schedule um, this past week. So it's been kind of interesting. Um, So yeah, it's a, it's a different place. I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, as, as in many things you've seen the best in the the country uh, kind of come together. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed at when you're in a grocery store, especially, you know, last week when everybody was really kind of stocking up and freaking out everybody everybody was still polite um you know we were in these long lines you know to check out we were trying to socially distance and everybody was being nice and nobody was like jumping around and so you, you really did see the best of, of what we're capable of um, as as that was all happening so it's been it's been in that sense it's been nice to see but it's it's a crazy world my you know we've set up a makeshift office for my wife because she's a lawyer uh, in the guest room, and um, I, I, oh, it's, I yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and then we're, we, 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 um, I rotate between the sort of bedroom when I need something, when I need a quiet space, and then in my office, which is just off the living room where my girls spend a lot of time. So it's kind of been an interesting uh, time. But yeah, it's 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 crazy when, when you when I I look back um, three weeks ago, and it, you know I was I was uh, on a on a trip uh, you know, a, a business trip, you know, three weeks ago. And, and we were already, we already sort of saw things coming, right. So we sort of had a sense of it. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting. The, the, the interesting part is that, you know, being in, uh, a healthcare executive, you sort of, obviously, uh, a month ago, even six weeks ago, we were already starting to, to look at the planning, um, the supply issues, um, all that stuff was already in discussions, you know, four to six weeks ago um, at, at, at sort of the highest levels of a lot of the, of the healthcare industry in terms of what we were, we were looking at dealing with. So, um, it, it, but, but how fast it shifted is, is still remarkable.
2: No, definitely. And obviously, um, I think that our numbers in terms of those who have been infected are a little bit skewed. Uh, not not skewed in the sense, but I think a lot more people were infected that we obviously didn't have test kits for and we weren't able to confirm it. So everyone keeps saying, oh, you know, the numbers are doubling. The numbers are doubling every day or every other day. But it feels like those people were most likely probably infected previously. We just didn't have uh, a means to test them. And we actually just did another podcast um, two days ago that I haven't released yet uh, about people who have... Have been extremely ill, and they have gone into the hospital to try to get tested, and basically been told, you know, well, you can't prove that you were in direct contact with somebody who was diagnosed, and you haven't been to China or Italy in the last two weeks, so we can't test you. Um, and they basically were just told, unless you are, you know, dying and unable to breathe, you should just stay home.
1: Still, the C- and that's and that's still the CDC guidelines. I mean, the 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 reality is the testing is not quite there yet, so you're. You, you, you know, that's, that's what's happening. The, you know, on the on the positive side, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the reality is there have been, and, and Governor Cuomo said it this morning, there have been a number of people, a large number of people that actually have had it and has resolved and they will never know they had it until they get, you know, until they come out with the blood test to see if you have the antibodies in your system.
2: Yeah, and I mean that—that's definitely scary, you know. That's—I mean, obviously, it's better to have it and not really know, but it's also extremely dangerous in the sense that you don't know who you're exposing yourself to. And one thing I would want to get into to both with you guys just a little bit because I feel like I know it's not necessarily positive, but I think we should be positive in the sense of commending those working in the healthcare industry right now—the you know, doctors and nurses um, that are on the front lines in the United States, at least, that are going in without their protective gear um, right now. I interviewed a doctor, um, Han Chu, and then a physician assistant and a nurse who are all kind of working on the front lines um, of the coronavirus. And they're kind of being told in some hospitals, uh, you know, we don't have enough masks for you to wear, so nobody can wear a mask. And if you're seen wearing any kind of mask, we will send you home. So, uh, you know, what's what's your kind of take on how the care industry is currently handling it. Um, do you have anything to say about maybe urging citizens who have N95 masks, um, to, to, donate them? I'd love to know your opinion on whether or not you think that some factories, um, like plastic factories and stuff like that should cease production of everything other than protective gear for healthcare workers. And, um, what do you guys think is kind of the best way that we can support those on the front lines, helping to fight this on a daily basis?
1: Well, I certainly think that the um, this is Gil, you know, I certainly think the um, uh, you know the, the, a lot of the hospital systems have set up donation centers for if you if you happen to have um, uh, the masks or any other gear in your in your um, in your own supply or, or if there's companies that had a lot of companies had emergency supply of things, which is fascinating. Like really, we, we heard Facebook uh, a couple of days ago had like seven hundred thousand masks um, in their yeah. kind of. In case stuff happens in in, in in their in case stuff happens bunker, apparently, um, so uh, they've they've donated those, um, and so I so I would certainly encourage you. Most most systems have, if you go to their websites, have set up uh, locations where you can drop off uh, masks uh, and stuff like that. They're, what most of them are still looking for are the ones that are you know the the manufactured stuff as opposed to the ones that you make yourself at home, um, and it, but it, that'll depend on on. Where folks are, um, it's very troubling the sort of story you conveyed about the the doctors that are sort of going through that experience. I know that, I know in San Diego that the most of the systems still have supply. They are they're they're running low, but there's still supply, and so they're still um, using kind of medical necessity guidelines in terms of what you should and should not wear, um, and, and in terms of that status. Um, and the hope is that you know you can get. Other supply, but one of the one of the fascinating things that I had learned, sort of as, as this process went out, is that a lot of the supply uh, of these materials not only came from China, but came from Wuhan, <laughs> which was just crazy. Yeah. Like if you think about that, um, yeah. and how how the supply chain was sort of interrupted um, as a result of that, and so it was one of those fascinating things. Um, and 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 the ramp up of our own sort of internal industries is certainly something that we should. Um, take a look at I, I i do think that we should be probably directing and and kind of using um, the defense uh, production act a little bit more aggressively in terms of, of having companies um, ramp up their production and, and you know the beauty of the of the dPA is it's it, they get paid that the whole framework is that they get guaranteed that if we tell them to ramp up this huge huge production that we're going to buy all, all their supplies until we tell them to stop producing um, and so it's sort of Creates uh, certainty for these entities, which you know the market doesn't necessarily do that, right? Because you 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 want to ramp up to to address supply, but you don't want to over ramp up and then be stuck with you know millions of face masks that are never going to be sold to anybody. Yeah. So, it's a it's it's a it's certainly a path that I would I would have I triggered a while ago, frankly, given the the knowledge um, that I think most people in healthcare understood that even six weeks ago, that the supply chain was in danger um, and that we needed to start moving pretty quickly on it.
0: I'd add to that. I mean, one, one of the things that I, I will say is challenging in this situation, and, and i point the finger, uh, even though we're not supposed to be pointing fingers, but i point the finger at, at all levels of, of government on this. I, I do feel like there's a little uh, unclear information about what is actually needed uh, and to what extent. I, I, I will give credit to Governor Cuomo. I do think he's being much more blunt and clear about what he feels is needed in the state of New York. Um, but, you know, i had heard there's a shortage of N95 masks in the region. I actually posted something on social media about it, and then someone reached out to me from one of the hospitals and said, we actually have plenty of N95 masks. We don't need N95 oh. masks. We need gowns and gloves. And so, yep. um, you know, maybe there's just a shortage of everything if you if you look at a national level or statewide level. Um, but it, it is interesting, and, and maybe going forward, one thing that can be done better is sort of a consolidated, you know, website website. Um, either in the state that maybe breaks it down by county. And so each county has their own section, but really identifying what's needed, how many, where people can go to give. It seems like there's a lot of sort of disjointed efforts to support different uh, groups that are frankly uh, going through you know unique challenges right now. And, and, um, and to your point, I mean, we've, we've got to give a tremendous amount of kudos and prayers for our uh, healthcare workers who are really exposing themselves to take care of the rest of us. Frankly, people like grocery store workers, they're doing the same thing um, to make sure we all have food and everything else to to keep ourselves going.
1: Yeah, everybody in the supply chain generally really are the ones that are kind of out there and and the grocery store workers for sure, as well as the frontline people. And, and, you know, even the administrative people in some of these hospitals are are all kind of still working to try to get everything functioning. And and the other thing that we need to be mindful of, by the way, is just the healthcare system generally is what's going on right now, New York's ahead of us, but what's going on right now is you have a... um, A situation where uh, uh, the hospitals throughout the state of California, for instance, are currently trying to increase their capacity, right? And so what that means is they're, to the extent you don't have to go to the hospital, elective surgeries, um, you know, people that are, that that were there but could be discharged, um, all that's starting to happen. um, And that has two effects. The good effect is we open up beds for the surge that everybody is expecting to hit California hospitals, Right. The bad effect is that the revenue of all these hospitals is nosediving um, at exactly yeah. the, at exactly the time when your uh, expenses are skyrocketing because you're you're starting to you know your all your nurses are going to overtime, um, all your staff is going to overtime, your doctors are working, and then you're trying to bulk up on supplies, um, and so it's the good thing about what what we're hearing coming out of Congress is that they're taking that into account and. You know, I'm I'm lucky. I'm at a hospital system. I'm I work. I'm I'm involved in a hospital system that has a a healthy reserve for just this situation. By the way, Um, but a lot of the kind of rural hospitals or smaller hospitals throughout the country don't. I mean, they're they're living hand to mouth uh, as a hospital, which is crazy to think of. Um, But they're it's the it's the worst time right now for them because their 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 expenses are skyrocketing and their income's not necessarily keeping up with it.
2: No, it's definitely I mean it's it's a scary time right now um for everybody and I think obviously I think it's probably good to be proactive and cancel elective surgeries and whatnot um after speaking with the nurse yesterday she was kind of saying that they're oh there's a word for it in terms of it has to do with the number of beds that are currently being used and stuff like that so the number of people they actually have in the hospital is relatively small right now but they're kind of calling it the calm before the storm um in terms of when they expect stuff to to start to get bad and they're they're saying that's in the next two weeks but no one's actually really talking about nobody has definitive dates you know and i think um, a lot of what's being said right now, I think there's all the big need to try to stimulate the economy. I know there, you know the, um, the the desire to have things open back up again by Easter is is great. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be feasible. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion that president Trump will probably change his tone in the next two weeks, just given how stuff is probably going to unfold. Hopefully it won't, hopefully he's right. And and we can just start, you know, getting back to our lives. But how do you see this playing out? You know, I, I, both of you, I'm just kind of curious.
0: Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, uh, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's amazing, you know, we're sitting here in California. I mean, New York has over 25,000 coronavirus cases that they know of right now. That's that's kind of a staggering number if you compare that to you know any other state right now. Even you know Washington, which has been a hotbed, only has over 2,000 uh, coronavirus cases. Um, and so, you know, I, I wish I could even say where we're going to be in two weeks. Um, what I what I do see is is certainly people coming together. Um, you know, this this isn't World War II. We are a country that has certainly much more wealth than we did back then. Um, and, you know, I think that we are able to weather this, uh, whatever is going to come our way. We also have technology, frankly, and, you know, we have the benefit of things like social media, which is sometimes, you know, a negative. But in a situation like this, to be able to communicate with people, to be, I mean, my, my kids are you know, talking to their teachers still through Zoom, they're talking to their friends through social media and things. Um, you know, there are definitely ways to communicate to people quickly in, uh, in certain areas where we need to, to make sure people, you know, stay at home and all these other things that we're, we're having to get the message out, which we wouldn't have been able to do as effectively, you know, 60, 80 years ago. So we will weather this, but I, I couldn't tell you where we're going to be in two weeks or two months.
1: Uh, I was going to say the, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think it's hard to predict um, because, I mean, you'll, you'll look at Italy and their numbers are still going up and they locked down the country 13 days ago. Um, so it's, so you just, really haven't, it's hard to get a sense of it. Um, but um, I think that the issue with the Easter timing is I, what I was going to say is the reality is I don't think it's going to be the president's decision on whether or not the country opens up again. At this point, all the orders are at the state level. Um, and, and so, you know, what the CDC could do is update their guidelines, um, to sort of start loosening up their guidelines in terms of, you know, who gets, who, who should, who should shelter in place, who should just social distance and, you know, do, do smart things to try to clean down the surfaces, but, ultimately the various states are probably going to be making the decisions on when we get back to work, um, and, um, and, and open up schools and things like that. Um, so it's hard to predict. I know that I know that in California, the, um, governor's, um, uh, infectious disease specialist, uh, they were, they were talking, you know, on the order of a total of, of eight, eight weeks in terms of, um, of shutdown. So, um, but nobody really knows because until, until you see the sort of numbers level off, you don't have a sense of it. And then even when the numbers level off, you still have to hold it for a bit. Right. Um, cause otherwise you spike it yeah. back up again. Um, but, uh, but, um, I, I, agree with Joe. I mean, I think we're, we're certainly better positioned than we've ever been, uh, to deal with something like this. Um, especially in this, I mean, the crazy thing is the state of California has perhaps one of the healthiest uh, rainy day funds in the country in terms of just its resources. Um, and that's that's a credit to the, to the last couple of administrations. but um, you know the, and, the, and the country it, it's, it's been good to see at least at the federal level that that they understand w- on a bipartisan basis, you know un- unlike I think in the 2008 uh, financial crisis where there was a, a hard partisan divide on the need to spend money to keep us going. Um, there is there is no fight over that at this point, <laughs> you know. Uh, right. every, every, everybody's comfortable with deficit spending right now and will be for the foreseeable future, and and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think in, in a crisis, that's when you want to do that. So, so that's uh that's the that's the good news about it.
2: No, definitely, and I, I was going to say too. I know, um, kind of the the purpose of having you guys both come on here, who are you know, Joe, you're a, rebel, a Republican, Gill, you're you're a Democrat. I think if you can both speak positively about the other party and i know we always ask our guests on this show um for example when cj modi came on we said say something nice about your opponent roberta and and vice versa you know um can you guys maybe just speak to what you both think that the you know the party that is not yours is is doing well right now um maybe give a couple of attaboys to to people on the other side um during this
0: sure this is joe i can start um you know there were a couple people i mentioned uh You know, one of them earlier, uh, Governor Cuomo, and you know, I mean, his state is really, like I said, taking the brunt of this right now. Um, In fact, I I think the uh, the White House just advised people who have been to New York City to self quarantine for 14 days if they've visited New York City, given how uh, prevalent uh, coronavirus is there. Um, But but the thing that I was going to give Governor Cuomo credit for two things actually. One is. You know, like I said, he's really speaking pretty directly and bluntly to people about what he sees coming and what he thinks is needed. And, um, you know, people may still disagree and he doesn't have a crystal ball, so he may be wrong about certain things. But I think that's what we need in a time like this. We, he's not overly um, uh, pessimistic. He's not doom and gloom about it. He's just very direct and treating us like adults and, and telling us what is coming down the pipe and what's needed. And I think that direct talk is really necessary. Um, the other thing I'd give him credit for, frankly, is, uh, you know, a little bit of humor. Uh, he's been going on his brother's show on CNN. It's been great. And, uh, it, yeah, it's clear to me that Governor Cuomo is no comedian, but he, he plays the, uh, you know, he plays the, the brother with his, uh, with his brother on that show and, you know, provides some levity to the situation. I think that's critically important in a time like this. So, you know, Governor Cuomo is definitely one that I would say is, uh, is showing some, some good leadership here.
1: Uh, I've got a couple. I mean, I think, I think Governor Hogan in Maryland has done a great job um, in terms of, of keeping the state sort of on the forefront in terms of locking down and, and, and things like that. And I think the the one thing you've seen sort of throughout really is, is frankly, most of the governors uh, have done a good job. Um, you know, there's a few that have been behind the eight ball, unfortunately, but, um, but most of the governors uh, and, and, you know, this is a, this is a thing about being a governor and a local official sometimes is you're, your, you know, it's a much more results and uh, driven enterprise, uh, the national office sometimes. And so, uh, they've been really good. And I think that the, the, there has been positive, uh, discussions, um, even amongst the governors and, and the, uh, the coronavirus task force which is led by vice president pence has been there's been a lot of positive uh, discussions back in the and back and forth in terms of of how that communication is going i think the the pushback now has been just on the on the lack of uh of the dpa and some of the other sort of more aggressive actions but certainly over the last week there was a lot of positive actions there locally um you know i you know i i'd say that um our local government has been doing a great job in terms of coordinating you know you've got a um Republican majority uh, County Board of Supervisors, where the uh, lead spokesperson person seemingly has been the Democrat the sole Democrat on the, on the on the board, talking to the Republican mayor of the city of San Diego, um, and then working with the Democratic uh, governor and state legislature. So that's been a, a great example of bipartisanship. And I, I know that uh, yesterday we had announced um, locally that they were going to open up uh, an area called Golden Hall as well as the San Diego Convention Center yeah. uh, to help our homeless population. And um, because of my role on the Convention Center board previously, I, I, I was a, a ten, very, very tangentially involved um, and, and knew that those discussions were going on. And it was just a, a lovely thing to see the various governmental agencies, regardless if, of what party was in charge, Kind of working together to figure out how to how to help that um, vulnerable population and use the resources that we have in the city to to get it done. So that that's been a great thing to see, um, kind of locally and and sort of across the country.
0: Yeah, talking locally. I mean, I'll give Nathan Fletcher a lot of credit. Um, you know, on another day, there are things that I, I have been critical about Nathan about in the past. But um, you know, again, he is somebody who locally is communicating clearly. He's communicating daily. He's communicating through different media as well, you know, TV and social media, making sure people have uh, as, as up-to-date information as they can. And frankly, I think that's, again, really important. One of the most, uh, you know, scary aspects to this is, is not having information. So when our elected leaders like Nathan get out there and make sure people have regular updated information and it's shared with them, um, you know, it instills a lot more confidence in people that our, our elected leaders are, are taking care of us and doing what needs to be done. From a,
1: not from a, a, a policy standpoint, but from a um, governance standpoint, I think I think Nathan's a great uh, uh, potential role model for you, Joe, because, you know, you may be going into a council that's where you're in the minority, in the, in the substantial minority, and Nathan has shown um, at, at the local level, I mean, how effective one person can be on a body, even if they're in the opposite party. I mean, he's, he's been able to put together coalitions um, with, uh, all Republicans <laughs> on the other side, uh, which is remarkable, I think. And so I, it's something to sort of look to did not, again, I get the policy differences, but from a, a functioning, um, uh, governance standpoint, it's, it's, it's been a fascinating approach and it's, it's, you know, he and I, um, are, 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 are good friends. And, and when I was running and, and throughout sort of his political career, his, one of his mantras has always been, um, you know, politics is a game of addition, of addition. You know, uh, so burning a bridge or 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 not 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 building bridges is never helpful to to getting the job done. And so he's just always been good. I think been particularly good at that, um, adept at that. Um, and even though he engenders a lot of, um, partisan blowback, cause he, you know, he like you, uh, Herod, he left the Republican party and became a Democrat. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that's always going to, there's always going to be some tension there, but, uh, he's still incredibly effective, um, where, where, when he, when he lands somewhere, because he doesn't kind of take this stuff personally, you know, he just kind of like rolls up his sleeves and then just sort of jumps in and builds bridges where he can, which is, I think what we need as a country generally.
2: I love that. No, I, I I think that's incredible. And I was going to say, Gil, if you can get Nathan to come on the show, I've been uh, harassing him on a on a big level for the last probably like six months trying to get him to come on the show. I actually ran into him at the Registrar of Voters and I cornered him. He's like, yeah, no, 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 I'll, I'll get back to you. <sighs> Haven't heard from him. So <laughs> he's, a, there, great. <laughs> he's, he's,
1: he's a little busy now, but I'll put in a good word. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That would be awesome, um, but no, I think I think this is amazing. I mean, this this sort of rhetoric of of people working together and coming together, and and one thing I wanted to mention to you, obviously going off of what you were talking about, Gil, it's um, about Golden Hall and how it's going to be uh, turned in, you know, to a sort of homeless area in a sense to to help take care of the you know the people in need right now. It's crazy to think that just what was it two weeks ago we were all there for for the Super Tuesday uh, election nights. Um, or how, how long ago was that now? Um,
1: three three, three weeks ago today. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it feels like a, a different world back then. But I know we all obviously congregated there. Um, I know Joe and I. Were, were you there as well, Gil?
1: I, I so so hilariously, I did not end up going, which was probably a good thing because we sadly had um, a, a bit of a, of a of an outbreak in, in our party, uh, and a lot of people were there. So we've all been sort of oh, mon- yeah, we've all been monitoring uh, folks because we had a we had three uh, is it three electeds? two two electeds. Elected and uh, no, one elected and two uh, one elected the party chair and a uh, candidate um, all have tested positive um, for COVID, and so everybody was sort of mindful of it. But I, I was downtown, but I never made it to Golden Hall,
2: yeah. We we ended up being there, so it's just obviously it's interesting to think how that was just a, a place to congregate for Super Tuesday, and now it's obviously being transformed into like a I don't want to say doomsday prep area, but um, it's it's just crazy how stuff has really changed. Um, I know Joe, when you were on the podcast last time, um, you know, we talked extensively about the the issue of homelessness in San Diego. And, um, I'm, I'm curious to know how you, you know, your opinion about how San Diego is working to, to help those experiencing homelessness during this time. And, and also obviously Gil hear your take on that. I, I know I've heard talk about the homeless being moved to temporary facilities like hotels, um, and, and other places. And I've heard pushback in terms of, um, after talking to Jessica Patterson today, she was saying the Democrats aren't a, f- a fan of trying to get the homeless off the streets, but I'm, I'm just curious to know what both of your kind of opinions are regarding how we're dealing with it in San Diego.
0: There are, there are so many issues that we have to deal with in, in this crisis. Uh, obviously the homeless population is a vulnerable population. And uh, if, if we're not helping that population or at least uh, providing the opportunity for that population to uh, avoid a spread that could be a population where it could spread like wildfire, and obviously then spreading beyond that population. Um, so I think you know the, the city and the county are doing the right thing about trying to make sure we're thinking ahead, which is which is great that they're thinking ahead before we see an outbreak in the homeless population um, that that again spreads like wildfire, and making sure we have those resources and those those motel uh, rooms or hotel rooms to make sure people can uh, you know isolate and, and self quarantine if, if necessary. Um, and I think that's a really important move. I think frankly, that's just one piece of a bigger challenge. And there are so many people in this city, and the region that are having a hard time, uh, wrapping their head around what exactly is going on right now and how long it's going to go on. And this is kind of how we started the podcast, but, um, you know, there are a lot of people that have some real challenges and there are people that are going to be facing, you know, food insecurity that haven't had to think about that for the last 10 years. and, and, not sure that they can pay their rent or their mortgage and, and really concerned about, you know, again, where that next meal is going to come from. Um, and so we're going to be looking when we get past the coronavirus crisis, I think, at probably a spike in homeless population in San Diego. And, and those new homeless folks are going to be a higher percentage of people that are having financial economic problems, not the ones that have the mental health and addiction issues that I talk about a lot, which I think is the predominant issue with our current homeless population. So again, it really calls for figuring out uh, a, a better systematic way to deal with our homeless population that helps uh, get as many people as we can off the street and self-sufficient to the extent that's possible and not, frankly, the one-size-fits-all approach that we've been doing for so many years now.
2: For sure. And Gil, what's kind of your your opinion on everything in addition to, Sorry. you know,
1: yeah, I think I think the good part about what we're doing now is it's 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 opening up a lot more beds um, and shelter beds for folks that need them. The problem with that approach, obviously, which is the the issue we've been all dealing with now for a while, is that you know just just having shelter temporary shelter beds doesn't solve the problem. It's you know it's addressing a, a symptom rather than actually addressing the the sort of larger overall problem of housing. Um, and so it's good that in a time of crisis where we have a concern about community spread of a, of a potentially deadly disease, um, that we take a population like the, like, like the homeless that are vulnerable and make sure that they at least have a place to stay, they have, they have a place to wash their hands, to shower, to, to clean up, um, and, and not um, sp- spread uh, kind of the way you know, what happened a couple of years ago with a different uh, epidemic within that community itself um the difficulty or the or the the pushback that i think you get from the democratic side is is, is twofold one is that you know we we very much want to transition to a, a model where we're actually building enough housing in town to where people can afford to live here um and that you know when when you're on the lower end of the the income scale that that you know if you if you falter you don't um lose your house because you're barely making rent as it is. Um, and that's part of, part of that is in large part a supply problem, uh, both on affordable housing, but on housing generally. Um, and so that's one of the issues. The other thing that I think in terms of, I think one of the comments you made that somebody had said to you is that we don't want to take them off the street. And it's sort of a, a, there's the difficulty that any local official is going to have is that balance between. Kind of quality of life um, for people that that for all citizens, um, balanced against you know the needs of the homeless and whether or not moving them from one place to another um, or arresting them or finding them or doing all those types of things that happen on the enforcement side um, is helpful. And that's that's the that's the balance um, that that has to be struck. And you know you've got a lot of cities that that just don't enforce. Uh, loitering laws and, 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 and that type of uh, uh, laws which causes all sorts of other problems um, and still doesn't address the fundamental problem and so that's that's the thing that we've been grappling here uh, perhaps more than most of the large cities probably because there's a Republican mayor you have a lot more enforcement than you do in any other large city in the country and, and that has its own issues that come up as a result of it where it just doesn't feel like you're solving the problem it just feels like you're moving them along um, so that's that's the thing that we and I know that, that Joe is very interested in sort of trying to address this on a long term basis and, and so is the rest of the council um, and it is something that that this the unfortunate reality of this of this particular crisis is you know not only you know are we is Joe right I think we we might see a lot a lot of people fall into homelessness just because you know they're not getting paid and it's going to be a hard time to pay rent and even though there's a, a eviction moratorium that's not going to last forever. You got to catch up, Um, but on top of that, the city's budgets are going to be decimated. Um, You know, the the third largest source of income for the city is uh, is the tax on tourists. We have no tourists right now, and the second largest source of income is sales tax, and and that's taking a beating. Um, So all those resources that we needed to do this are, are 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 taking a beating right now. So the hope is, and and to swing this to the positive, is that the federal government will also be. Uh, very much looking at that because all of these cities uh, and municipalities are going to need kind of help getting standing back up uh, to have enough resources to get a, to get things going again.
2: For sure, and I mean, I uh, I have a couple more questions to ask you guys. I know that we're we're winding down here in terms of time, but uh, I know you're both parents. And Gil, how old are your kids? I know Joe said how old his were, but how old are yours? I have
1: two girls, ten and twelve, in fourth and sixth grade.
2: Okay, so I wanted to ask each of you, as dads, obviously with kids, I mean roughly around the same age for the most part. I know Joe, you have an extra one, um, who's eight, I think you said, but uh how how I, are I,
0: I you talking? I won't know him you called him an extra one, but I know, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm just curious, how are you guys talking to your, your kids right now about this? Obviously, I, I understand that we have the, the luxury in a sense of, you know, the Spanish flu did not have Zoom. Um, we couldn't do tele, you know, teaching and, and education and all that kind of stuff. But how are you talking to your kids about this? How are they dealing with it? And do you have any tips for parents during this time?
1: early on, it was, it was just a lot of fear of the unknown. Um, and so a lot of it was having the conversations with them. I mean, I think it's helpful for kids to know that, you know, it's, it's, it's very, 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 uh, rare that it would affect kids very much. I mean, that's the good news that we, you're, you're going to see, um, stories. And I think we, there was one earlier today of a young, uh, of a young person actually uh, passing away, but it's, it is it is still numbers wise very rare, and so that that sort of helped from a comfort level. Um, and and you know we sort of we were able to say the same thing about you know, uh, mommy and daddy too. We're Like look, you know, for people our age, you're you're generally fine. We'll, you know, we're, we want to the, the people most vulnerable are those that are older and and with um, underlying health conditions. Uh, but we also want to all be safe and be careful and not even get this if we can avoid it. Um, and so that that was a lot of the early conversation because there was a lot of uh, especially with my 12 year old, just a lot of fear of, am I going to get this? And what does that mean? And, you know, that type of stuff. And so that was just trying to calm those fears down. And luckily the truth, you know, actually lines up with <laughs> the calming, the fears down. Right. Um, so, yeah. so that was helpful. And then, um, now it's been a lot of just, uh, you know, luckily our kids school is, is sort of on track and, and they're, they're getting um, a lot of that interaction. Um, even though it's through video conference, uh, it's hilarious having your kids tell you, Oh, I have, I have a video conference in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of the funnier things I've heard them say. Uh, and then, uh, and I, and I'm like, Oh, so do I. Okay, cool. So we'll talk after. Uh, and, and then, um, and then we've tried as a family and we try to take a family walk every day, uh, at least one uh, with a dog and just sort of walk around the neighborhood uh, and I, I think Joe, you've seen the same thing. I mean, our, and you probably have too, Harry. but I, I, mean, the amount of neighbors I see walking now is crazy, right? It's just, everybody's just going right. on these walks. It's, it's, it's great to see. Um, and so we do that. Um, and then we have been cooking up a storm, which has been great. Uh, so we're eating really well. And then, um, and then I just <laughs> sort of seeing the, the future because, uh, they're still done with schoolwork, you know, around the same time, like around two o'clock, three o'clock. Uh, I knew that our afternoons were, were going to need some entertainment, so I've, I've 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 had a constant shipment from Amazon coming of various backyard uh, games. So we so I set up the, set up the cornhole today, uh, and uh, we've got spike ball ready to go, and uh, bocce ball arrived. At some point, they're going to make me put the trampoline back together. Um, so you know, it's, it's, it's that combination of uh, entertaining and uh, trying to keep life as normal as you can really. Um, and luckily it's, aside from not seeing, not running out of the house very much, it's been pretty normal for them.
0: For
2: sure. What about you, Joe?
0: Well, first I saw Gil's new cornhole, uh, set on social media. That's a beautiful set of, uh, for cornhole. It's, uh, patriotic American flags, the the beanbags are it's it's wonderful i give you and a lot got, of props to that Gil. they yeah. got LED lights on them too i have to turn those on at night it'll be fun <laughs> <laughs> wow I'm not, I'm not Tell you later where you got that from I, I might have to get myself a set. um you know it's it, just as Gil said i mean it, it, the way this has all kind of rolled out for all of us um has maybe made it a little bit easier as a parent right because again two weeks ago it didn't seem as extreme as it seems today and so when you're talking to your kids about it, I mean, first of all, my kids may have heard about it first at school for all I, for all I know, but, um, it wasn't as big a deal. And then, you know, rumors started schools might be closed and to the kids, that sounds like a lot of fun, Uh, a lot less to the parents, but to the kids (laughs) a lot of fun. And so, you know, I don't think there were, they were exposed to the concept that something was going on before being exposed maybe to the fear. Um, but, you know, obviously it gets more real for all of us, including our kids. Uh, we had an interesting situation, and I've got to be careful how much I say on this, but um, before everything was on a total lockdown, my daughter went to a birthday party, and it's my daughter who's the fearful daughter, the one that hates going on roller coasters and is afraid of everything. And, um, She's she found me. found out the next <laughs> morning that a father who uh, sent their child to that same birthday party tested positive uh, with coronavirus. And we just thought, how would, how could this dad have sent his child to this birthday party while he was waiting for test results for coronavirus? So, you know, we told our daughter, because we obviously then had to be even more careful, especially with her. And um, frankly, she burst in tears. I mean, she she at that point, you know, she viewed coronavirus as a death sentence if she got it. And, you know, we said, look, the chance that your friend uh, has it is almost you know, zero. And then even if she did the chance, you got it, blah, blah, blah. Well, then Friday, just last Friday, we found out her, her, uh, friend actually has it and is one of the two cases, uh, that are in the County in the 19 and under category as of today. And, um, but frankly, by then, you know, my daughter's still fearful, but I think she kind of adjusted to the idea that this is something that people are, get, are getting. And especially if you're young, um, you know, you're, you're not dying from it. And, uh, for the most part, so it's tough. I mean, it, it can be tough, uh, you know, kids have different personalities. So I think the kids that, um, you know, like my daughter who's more fearful. It's, it's a, h- a harder situation. Uh, my other daughter isn't really afraid of anything. Uh, and, and it wasn't as big a deal. And my son who's a, is, is still kind of clueless on things. So he still thinks we're talking about beer when we're talking about coronavirus. So, um, you know, different kids have different personalities. <laughs>
1: That's a more interesting it, uh, discussion too, than he
0: goes to beer. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, that's not the beer. That's not my beer choice. So I think he he's heard that joke elsewhere and and has just picked it up. So that's
1: funny.
2: That's funny. No, that's um I'm sorry that you're dealing with that though, Joe. I mean, has it? Can I ask? Has it been 14 days yet since the birthday party? Yeah. Like, do you know if sure. you're in the clear?
0: We're on day nine, I think. I, I think we're in the clear. Okay. I mean, not, not. I'm not a health okay. expert. So health experts would not say no. we're, days. but given that there's zero signs yeah. uh, of any symptoms in anybody in my family, we've been close quarters here <laughs> for for yeah. uh, at least nine days. Um, I, I think we're going to be fine. Uh, so, but we're on we're on day nine because it was a week Good. ago Sunday was the birthday party. So no, yeah.
2: Oh. Yeah, that's how do you propose? And I know we're we're almost out of time, but I'm just kind of curious, just straight up, honestly, um, what do you guys think that this is going to bring the left and the right together? Um, do you think that we are going to come out of this stronger and more connected and and less you know attacking of each other and critical of the other side? And do you think that we're going to work harder together, or do you think that when this is all over, we're going to go right back to the divisive rhetoric that we kind of had before all of this, especially going into the November elections?
0: I think in, I think going into the November elections, we will still be more united, um, but I do think. We will shortly thereafter fall back to our old ways. Unfortunately, um, you know, I think the best—the uh, best of us—will um, take this opportunity to to find our common humanity and and, and realize what's important. Um, unfortunately, though, again, coming out of this, I think we all need to be prepared. There's there's going to be some uh, personal pain that people are dealing with, financial pain, and and so I think we're going to be um, having a lot, there's a lot of opportunity, unfortunately, for finger pointing and, and for real sharp policy differences that are good faith policy differences, but create some of those uh, opportunities for people to use politics and point fingers and, and say, you know, well, this group doesn't care about X, Y, or Z or that group doesn't care about X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, I think what we need to do is we need to, frankly, as voters expand, expect that and demand that of our elected officials, um, And, you know, again, giving another Democrat credit, um, you know, there was uh, the vote on the stimulus bill. We had Senator Jones from Alabama who voted against his party um, and and blasted both parties, frankly, for their partisanship and and things like that. And um, we need more of that. We need more of those profiles and courage. And we need to um, hold those people up that are willing to to exhibit those uh, profiles and courage and, um, and expect that as voters.
1: I, I, you know, I'm always, I'm the the forever optimist. Yeah, I'm the forever optimist. I mean, I do think it'll bring us closer as a country. Um, and I think frankly, most, uh, most of the electeds will will come closer. I think it's, I think it's actually brought a lot of people working with each other that that weren't necessarily working with each other before. Um, I I am concerned about the top (laughs) of, of the scale in terms of, you know, uh, where that goes, particularly in, in a week or two, if, if, if the president wants to go one direction and everybody else wants to go another direction. Um, but I think as a, as a country, I think we're, we're probably going to come out of it, it, you know, and, and, and there'll be some stronger aspects of it. Um, I agree with Joe. I mean, it's, it's, this is not going to be a thing where like, you know, we're, we're the doors are open and, and all of a sudden everything's back to normal. I mean, it's going to take some time to rebuild. Um, but there's, you know, there's potential there to rebuild it in a, in a way that, 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 uh, that we're coming together. I mean, I think the good news is there's, there's a decent level of bipartisan, um, approach on, on the stimulus stuff. Um, despite the fights that they were having yesterday, they, they do seem to get a, uh, you know, there, there is at least an understanding that, that we need to do something, we need to do something big. Um, and that's a great starting point, um, to build on something. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit optimistic on, on almost every level of government.
2: I love that. No, I mean, I, I hope so as well. I think that this is, you know, I, I say to my dad, I feel like I can kind of take it from the, the hippie nonsense, you know, portion of things that he'll sometimes tell me that I, I, I do. Um, and I know that we're living really in kind of scary and uncertain times and it feels like the whole collective energy of the world right now is just kind of heavy. Um, you know, we kind of, I feel like we're being called right now to evolve and, and be better and, and, do better. Um, I think there's a lot of chance for that, but I think that both sides really need to decide. We're going to change our our way of communicating with each other. We're going to change the sort of language that we use. We're going to stop with these kind of bumper sticker insults and boxes that we kind of tend to put each other into, you know, as people from opposing parties so um, thank you both I love seeing your, your friendship and how you guys obviously have a great um, camaraderie and even though you're one's a Republican one's a Democrat you know you guys both managed to, to get on well and, and to just I think that's that's the whole that's what we need in this country you should not be friends with someone because of their political affiliation um, but yeah I mean do you have any any closing words or any words of just maybe a message of hope maybe give me like an Ob- an Obama quote or something I don't know you know before we, before we end today or a President Trump quote, whatever whatever moves you.
1: Go, go ahead, Joe. Go, go, pull out the President Trump quote.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not going to quote a president. I'm, I'm just going to say look for the good. I mean, there are so many stories of good right now. There are so many stories of people helping. There are so I've seen so many people wanting to find ways to contribute to those that really need it right now. Um, there's a great story I saw from a friend on, on Facebook about how she was trying to pick up toilet paper at Target one set for her and one set for her in-laws that are a vulnerable population and shouldn't go out and because of the limit. She couldn't buy both. And um, so she was forced to put one back and as she's getting to her car to put her, her groceries in her car, the guy that was behind her in line ran out and gave her that extra um, package of toilet paper for her in-laws. She wanted to pay him, she wanted to pay him back and he refused and said it's his good deed for the day. So, I mean, there's just so many, and that happened today. So, you know, just so many good stories, people trying to help, um, there's so many opportunities for it. I mean, the blood bank uh, could use blood donations. Um, you know, I, I, I was there myself. They're extremely sanitary. They are great about di- social distancing and cleaning everything down. I don't think there's anywhere safer you can be, frankly, than the blood bank. But there's obviously a tremendous number of opportunities for people to help either financially or uh, with their time, uh, as long as they're being safe about it. So again, I just say look for the good. There's a lot of good that's coming out of all this. I I think that's great. What about you, Gil? Yeah, I think that's,
1: I think that's perfect. And I would, I would only add that, that, you know, don't, don't let, don't let fear creep in. And, and even if it does certainly don't let it drive your, your decision-making because, um, that's, you know, that, that's, that is the thing that, that is out there that, um, you know, uh, could, uh, cause more problems than it, than it warrants. Um, and you know in, in the moment, everything is oftentimes things look worse than they are, and, and you just have to try to take a, a, a broader look at, at where, where you stand, where things are, where the country stands. And I, I love Joe's comment about looking for the good because it, it really is everywhere around us. Um, you're seeing simple acts of kindness um, sort of up and down the country and the world right now and, and, and those should inspire you and not, not the fear stuff.
2: For sure. Thank you guys both so much for being here. I, I really appreciate both of your perspectives and your take on this. I apologize. That my dad couldn't be here. Um, but I just I really appreciate what you both have to add to this. And uh, I, I wish you both really well. And I hope you both stay safe during this time and, um, you know, spend time with your families. If you need to practice social distancing from your children when you need a break, you know, put them in the backyard. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but But good luck with everything. And I will let you guys know when this episode's out.
1: Awesome. Thank you.